Thanks for uh, joining today. We're going to be uh, doing a little discussion here about uh, exercise and how exercise can impact our cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular functions to help us improve our overall aerobic fitness, to offset any type of issues we might have as relates to heart functions, or uh, for most people, the issues that they tend to uh, look at is not necessarily the heart, but their blood vessels and blood pressure. But before we get started, please make sure that you are uh, subscribed and have the alerts turned on for when we are publishing out new things. Please make sure you're giving us those uh, likes and those five-star reviews as we uh, jump into our discussion here about uh, cardiovascular functions and cardiovascular health and the conundrum that we face when we start looking at what type of exercise that we want to use in order to improve our overall cardiovascular and cardiorespiratory functions and improve our overall aerobic fitness. But we're left with a question. And the question that we're left with leads to a conundrum, particularly for people who tend to not want to automatically select towards doing endurance exercise or aerobic exercise. And that conundrum is, can I get the same cardiorespiratory aerobic fitness modifications, adaptations, or changes from doing non-endurance activities, non-quote-unquote cardio activities? And so let's go ahead and let's talk about that. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. So as we begin our discussion here, let's first uh, do a quick little uh, review of the anatomy and physiology of the uh, cardiorespiratory pathways and cardiorespiratory system. And when we're doing this, let's focus particularly on the heart and blood vessels. And what we have to remember is that we have to understand how these function as it relates to moving of fluids. Because that's really what they're doing is they're simply moving fluid. The fluid happens to be blood. And the way in which the heart is functioning is it's functioning as a pump. And the pump dynamics that it's going to be working on is going to try to make a high-pressure area inside of the ventricles in order to propel blood out of the heart into circulation into vessels that will have ever-decreasing amounts of pressure within them. That's the way in which blood is moving. It's moving from areas of high pressure to areas of low pressure. It's one of the physiological principles that we have playing within our body is that when things move, they always move from areas of high pressure to areas of low pressure. And so that holds true within the, the blood vessels. And so when we're doing any type of exercise, what we're doing is we're changing the way in which blood is moving around the body. The change in which blood is moving around the body has nothing to do with the need for oxygen as a misconception tends to play out, but has to deal with the need to move fluids around the body so as to meet metabolic demands for the tissues that are highly functioning. That change is sometimes referred to as a cardiac drift. And the cardiac drift comes about by changes that we see in the heart rates for individuals when they are physically active. And the cardiac drift is the response we see at the heart to what I like to refer to as a cardiac shift. And the cardiac shift is where we're changing where blood is moving around within the body. 
we have a set amount of blood for, for our body that equates to about 8% of our total body mass. We normalize this for most individuals to be between 4 and 5 liters for average adults. You can do the math uh, for yourself based off of what your body weight happens to be, convert it into uh, kilograms, and then that will give you your uh, blood volume in liters for 8% of your total body mass. When we're physically active, we have to make that, that amount of blood, that 8% of our total body mass, look larger. And the way in which we do this is we change the way and the volume of blood moving at any point in time. This is done by changing a little bit of what's referred as a stroke volume, that is how much blood is moved per heartbeat, and the number of beats that we have in any given point in time or heart rate. And the way in which exercise functions is it functions by changing the heart rate and the stroke volume that occurs, causing a cardiac drift to, uh, to take place. And that's what we see when we start measuring uh, responses to exercise in heart rate monitors. Now, when we do exercise, one of the things that happens is that we get a huge hormonal change that takes place that's going to come after the fact. So while we're doing exercise, we're going to get what's referred to as a uh, transient or a uh, localized, a acute point in time change in heart functions and in blood vessel functions. This change that we see during the exercise, this transient change, leads to changes both the way in which the arteries are functioning, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, and the way in which the heart is functioning. And it occurs based off of what's referred to as volume load. So when we start looking at the way in which the arteries function, this is where we have to worry about blood pressure issues. Particularly for people who are very sedentary, don't do a lot of exercise. The arteries themselves are a compliant tube. They're, they're a, a kind of, you think about like a hose, but it's a hose that's able to expand and collapse. And the expansion and collapsion is what's referred to as compliance. And the compliance is the ability for the diameter of the tube to change based off of the pumping action that's taking place within the heart. When I start to exercise, the pressure of contractions that's taking place within the heart increases. And that's to force blood to move faster through the body because, once again, I have to make the blood look like I have more blood than what I would normally have. And what this does is puts a pressure load on the blood vessels. And that pressure load on the blood vessels leads to a change in pressure being felt within the blood vessels. And that pressure that we see with, within the blood vessels causes a modification to how the blood vessels are working. And what it does is that we get this uh, transient mechanical load. That means we have a, a, a at the point of time exercise. That's the transient part, which means it's not happening all the time. It's only happening when we're doing exercise. Mechanical, that means we're increasing the forces being placed on the blood vessels during the exercise. And what this does is 
with combination to the hormonal change that we see after exercise allows for the blood vessels to become more compliant with exercise. And that compliance allows for greater volume of blood to move within the vessels. But at the same time, what it does is it keeps the anatomical and physiological characteristics of the arteries at play. So arteries function under, once again, remember we're going from high pressures to low pressures, function on a slightly higher pressure than we see within the veins of the body. And what ends up happening is that as we get pressure moving into the arteries, the artery is going to swell a little bit and it has these wonderful little muscles within the arteries. And as they get stretched because they're swelling up, they contract down. They force a contraction within the arteries that, can, that keeps pressing and pushing the blood forward through the circulatory pathways within the body. And what this does is keeps moving blood forward and moving blood forward and moving blood forward, moving blood forward. And what ends up happening is that this pressure wave that takes place causes an increase of compliance to occur within the blood vessels during the exercise. Now, we have to be very careful, and this is where we get some of these misconceptions about what type of exercise to do if we want to uh, improve our blood pressures or are worried about having excessive uh, high blood pressure responses to exercise. And this is where if I am doing a maximal exertion in my exercise, and we've seen these in a lot of the quote-unquote fails videos that make their way around the internet, where the person is doing a maximal deadlift or a maximal squat, and they get done with the lift, and they pass out. That is what's referred to as a post-exertional hypotensive syncope. And so that's big fancy words for their blood pressure got super high. And then in response to getting that super high blood pressure, blood pressure went super low. And this is where the, the physicians would recommend against doing resistance exercise and generally recommend only doing endurance exercise to improve cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular health and aerobic fitness. And that's because they were afraid of people having these syncopes, these passing out episodes within the exercise. But that syncope, that, that passing out within the exercise, is associated with a secondary physiological response that can occur during maximal exertions, particularly resistance training maximal exertions, known as a valsalva. And that's where you are holding your breath and squeezing your stomach and getting your abs very, very tight and increasing so much pressure within the, your torso that there's too much pressure for the blood to push against. And then all of a sudden, you get this reflex that takes place known as a baroreceptor reflex. That's a blood pressure reflex that takes me from being super high pressure to super low pressure. As soon as I get done, all that pressure that was there drops and there's no more blood circulating up into my head. And since there's no more blood circulating up into my head for a very, very brief moment of time, I end up having that passing out. And this is why for a long period of time, the recommendation for people who have hypertension was to avoid doing any type of resistance training, any type of weight training in their efforts to reduce any type of 
high blood pressure or it reduce any type of cardiovascular disease. But what we found out is that that's not necessarily always going to take place. And this is where we can utilize set rep ranges and do safety mechanisms surrounding maximal exertions for people who have hypertension, high blood pressure, and want to do resistance training. And so when we start looking at what effects we get from the various types of exercise that takes place, that's going to take place during the exercise. So during the exercise, what ends up happening is we get these big pressure changes taking place whenever I'm doing the exercise. And so what ends up happening is that when I get these changes in uh, pressures, these changes in restriction to flow, what we deem to be peripheral resistance physiologically. What this does is this leads to changes in fluid flow and volumes that are being moved by the heart. And so one of the things that we're going to try to do is we're going to try to change fluid flows so as to lead to improved volumes being moved with each contraction of the heart. And there's a physiological principle that comes into play. Uh, there's two dif different terms that we use here. Uh, one term is referred to as uh, Starling's cardiac principle. The other one is sometimes referred to as the Frank Starling principle. And what this is, is this is a principle of physiology that says that when I'm looking at the total amount of blood being moved per contraction, per heartbeat, the more I'm allowing the heart to fill, the better the heart is going to function, the more efficient the heart is going to function. And this fill rate, this volume that comes about, is going to allow for greater pressure differences to be established, to allow for greater volume of blood to be pushed out of the heart and through the circulatory pathways within each contraction. And so the strength of the contraction is going to be dependent upon two things taking place within the heart. One is, what is the ventricle's ability to fill? And then what is the pressure that I have to push against in order to get the blood to move out of the heart? And so when I have these temporary pressure swings that improve the compliances within the arteries, I'm able to propel more blood out of the heart, which means I'm able to move more blood per heartbeat, which means I'm able to get more blood back to the heart, which means I'm able to fill the heart more, which means I'm able to propel more blood out of the heart. And all of this happens due to elastic returns from the elastic connective tissue that we see within the heart and within the arteries of the cardiorespiratory pathways of the cardiovascular system. And so we have to constantly be working towards this improved compliance. The problem is, is that when we have stiffening of the arteries, sometimes referred to as atherosclerosis, this is where we have poor compliance. And this is typically seen with high blood pressures, where we have too much resistance to blood flow coming out of the heart. And we don't get that elastic return from our elastic connective tissues. And this means the heart has to pump and work, quote-unquote, harder. And we have to have a faster heart rate in order to get an equivalent amount of blood to move out. 
And so when we're trying to make sure that we're getting the correct amount of blood moving around the body, one of the things that comes about from exercise that allows us to have these good cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular changes is an improvement in that compliance that we see within the blood vessels. And that compliance we see within the blood vessels is associated with the cardiac shifts that take place due to increased metabolic activity. And once again, it's not about the oxygen demands that we tend to classically hear about or continually hear about. That's the misconception about the changes. But it's the need to exchange metabolites and remove waste products from the tissues. While at the same time, increase the amount of blood flowing out to the skin so we can uh, dissipate, get rid of any type of heat that's being generated from the exercise. That change in blood flow to the skin is why we uh, tend to get a little flushed, kind of reddened when we start doing exercise. But what it also does, it also increases our uh, sweat rate, but it also allows us to get rid of through radiant heating additional amount of heat that gets built up during exercise. The demands of exercise is going to be the kind of linchpin here as to how much change we see within that cardiorespiratory pathways, within the, car- within the cardiovascular pathways to be specific, talking about heart rate and blood pressure. And so as exercise continues, what is happening is that we start having compensation within the vasculature, within the blood vessels, that allows us to start to get a normalization of blood moving throughout the body. So when we first start exercising, what's happening is we get this drastic change in blood flow going, going everywhere. And we're trying to shunt blood, we're trying to move blood away from areas where we don't need the blood to go to areas where we do need the blood to go. And that changes how much blood is being returned at the initiation of exercise, what's referred to uh, physiologically as venous return. And when we have an inappropriate return rate, that's where we start having those hypotensive, hypertensive, those low-pressure, high-pressure swings, that if we happen to be performing a Valsalva while doing a maximal exertion, As soon as I get that super high, super low response, I'm going to have that sinking. I'm going to have that that fainting episode. And so when we start doing our exercise, what ends up happening is that the body adapts to the changes in the need for blood throughout throughout the body. And we don't get these huge swings in blood pressure changes that we would have when we first started. That's simply because we start getting improvement in compliance. We also start seeing changes in hormone signals, particular hormone signals that lead to stiffening or uh, uh, atherosclerotic changes. We get a reduction in uh, stress hormones that come about during and around exercise that lead to uh, reduced compliances. And so as we start to exercise, those signals start to drop and we start having improved cardiodynamics, start having improved blood vessel functions and heart functions 
that allow us to have improved blood pressures. Now, what's interesting is that the effects that exercise has, especially resistance exercise, tends to be non-uniform. That means that we don't see exactly the same type of responses throughout the body everywhere. And the differences in responses are generally based off of the changes that we see within the pressures of those vessels during the exercise, where we can have very brief, very high pressures being experienced that lead to greater benefits in terms of that compliance with prolonged duration uses. That is not holding the exercise for, long, for prolonged periods of time, but what we see over weeks of training. Something that is different than what we see when we start looking at endurance exercise. And what this can do is this can lead to differences that we see in between endurance and resistance exercise, where we get that excessive high followed by excessive low followed by excessive high within resistance training that leads to the responses within, within the vessels that allow for improved compliance that we don't see necessarily when we start looking at the endurance or aerobic or sometimes for just cardio exercises. And the long-term changes that we're attempting to see are also going to be different when we start looking at the differences between endurance and resistance exercise. And so the general premise that we tend to hear from medical and health professionals is that endurance exercise is better than resistance exercise for inducing, for causing beneficial changes in our cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory pathways. Especially if we start our, if, especially if we're using exercise within what has been deemed by the exercise physiologists to be the quote unquote cardio range, that is somewhere between 70 and 85% of maximal heart rate. But what we have to remember is that the type of exercise that's going to result in shifts of blood and the resultant changes in heart rate, the cardiac drift, and cardiac shifts, changes in blood flow, is going to be dependent upon the type of exercise that we are involved with, where it may not be exercise in that quote-unquote, cardio range that provides the greatest benefit, simply because it's not necessarily just about the dynamics of blood flow, but also the hormonal responses that we need to change, and the willingness for us to use exercise that we want to use. And so we have multiple evidentiary points that indicate that we get a better benefit for people who are using exercise as a means to change cardiorespiratory health in association with other non-communicable disease issues, most readily uh, over-fatness issues, sometimes references obesity issues, with the use of resistance exercise relative to the use of endurance, aerobic, or cardio exercise. And so while most people may recommend the endurance, aerobic, or cardio exercise, it's not necessarily the best for generating the responses that we 
want as we can get similar, if not better, responses from long-term use of resistance training. And so while we have to worry about that Valsalva issue with resistance training, if we can go ahead and correct the use of maximal exertion, meaning that we're not constantly training to fatigue, and by fatigue in this case here, we're not talking about physiological fatigue, we're talking about maximal exhaustion of the muscle that is I'm unable to do another rep, and so I'm going to attempt to maximally exert, and by doing that, I'm going to perform a Valsalva maneuver within my breathing technique in order to utilize my entire body to get the last repetition done. If I'm able to train correctly, I have a minimal risk of having that Valsalva response and that syncope, that passing out episode. And the reason why we can stipulate that resistance training might be of greater benefit than endurance training is because of the changes that we see within the hormones long-term. And the changes we see within the hormones long-term are associated with changes in hormones associated with stress and hormones associated with poor cardiorespiratory functions. These include hormones such as uh, leptin, cortisol, epinephrine, ILs or interleukins that trigger inflammation, that trigger an increase in uh, blood protein known as C-reactive protein that causes a change in blood vessel dynamics that leads to uh, stiffening of the arteries, that triggers what's referred to as left ventricular hypertrophy, that is where the muscle of the ventricle, particularly the left ventricle, becomes larger without a change in the volume of the ventricle. When we start having high blood pressures and left ventricle hypertrophy, what ends up happening is we end up having poor cardiac functions. And so one of the things that's really cool that takes place when we start looking at this long-term aspect of exercise, in particular exercise and the change that we see within the cardiorespiratory pathways, before we start looking at changes in aerobic fitness, is that the heart itself and the blood vessels themselves start, start to change their anatomy. They actually start changing their structure. And so we already mentioned the, how the blood vessels become more compliant. They're able to stretch more. And by stretching more, they're able to return more pressure onto the blood, which causes the blood to move better throughout the whole entire pathway. And this causes a change in the volume on the heart, the actual amount of blood moving into the heart within each beat, a change in return and a change in stroke volume. And the way this takes place is that the heart kind of sits at a weird angle to the rest of our body. It actually sits at an, at, at an angle that's not along the long axis of the body. So it doesn't sit vertically. It actually sits at a little bit of an angle. Not as it sits at an angle, but the musculature of the heart because of how the heart is, is formed during fetal development, has this kind of twist to it. It kind of spirals at an angle. And when I start to have changes in blood flow moving through the system, that 
spiraling and that angling causes an elongation of the heart. The heart actually kind of stretches a little bit. And there's a couple of really cool studies that actually looked at changes in heart structure in between highly sedentary and maximal exertion organisms versus endurance organisms. And they looked at uh, primates, they looked at both humans as well as chimpanzees in the study that I'm referencing here. And what they found is that the actual volume of the heart changed. We actually get a greater stretch within the heart. So the heart actually elongates, which causes the ability to fill to increase. And so we actually get more volume fill. And it goes back to that Frank Starling principle where we're able to get more blood fill, which means we're able to get more blood ejected, which means we're able to get more stretch on the vessels, which causes more compliance, which causes a, a reduction in the blood pressures throughout the body as we have progressive uh, exercise taking place. And what they noticed is that this became more pronounced, this elongation, this stretching of the ventricles becomes more pronounced with greater amounts of endurance exercise. And so the hypothesis that, that stemmed from that was that, well, then we should see differences between the resistance exercise people and the endurance exercise people. And what they found is that there's really no difference. Both endurance and resistance exercise causes this elongation to take place. It also causes some amounts of growth in the muscle tissue of the ventricles of the heart. So we get a little bit of hypertrophication, we get a little bit of bigger muscle tissue, which allows for greater contraction strength. But when I'm active, not only do I get this greater contraction strength, but I also get greater fill, more volume being able to be moved within the heart, allowing for more blood within each heartbeat. Within that, there's another compensation that takes place that helps to improve my blood pressures. The more active I am, the more blood I actually have, the more volume of blood I have, independent of any changes in my overall body weight. And that's a compensation that I make so that I'm able to do all of the shifting of blood that I need during exertion, during exercise, without having too much reduction in the volume of blood being moved within each beat of the heart during exercise. That change in blood volume leads to constant stretching of the blood vessels within each beat because I'm able to move more volume within each beat which causes greater amounts of compliance to take place, which leads to reduced overall pressures in the long term. And so when we start looking at, okay, how is exercise going to go about leading to these improvements in cardiovascular health, in cardiorespiratory health? It's a combination of two things. It's a combination of the mechanical loads that take place during the exercise that the vessels and the heart have to compensate against in order to allow for greater amounts of blood flow during exercise. Combined with changes that we see within the hormones of the body that reduces our stress response and reduces our inflammation responses, that allows for, during rest periods, greater compliance. 
better flow throughout the body and reduction in blood pressures. And that's independent of any changes in endurance and aerobic fitness, which leads to the other changes that we see taking place during exercise that helps to improve cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular fitness and cardiovascular health. And that's signaling within the tissues of the body to produce more mitochondria within the cells. And what that does is that improves our overall aerobic capacities, our ability to do aerobic metabolism. That change in amount of mitochondria, which is referred to as mitochondrial biogenesis, also triggers changes in the amount of hemoglobin and the amount of myoglobin that I have within the muscles and within the blood. Hemoglobin in the blood, myoglobin in the muscles that improves my oxygen carrying capacity. That change in oxygen carrying capacity is met with changes in ventilatory volumes. I'm able to take deeper breaths. I'm able to move more air within each breath. I'm able to get greater exchanges of gases in between my body and the environment. All in all, what this totally means is that I'm able to be able to do activities for greater periods of time before I start to have metabolic signals of fatigue, which changes my want to do things, which leads me to continue to do exercise, continue to do activity. So how do I improve my abilities to do the things I want to do? Through exercise, how do I improve my cardiovascular functions? It's all about by changing the way in which blood is moving, by changing the hemodynamics, the actual fluid dynamics within the cardiovascular system that get correlated with, associated with changes in the amount of mitochondria I have, changes in my aerobic fitness, my aerobic capacities, changes in the amount of gases I'm able to move within each breath. And what this does is this leads to me becoming more efficient in terms of what I'm able to do. And this goes back to the initial question, the initial conundrum. Which is better? Is it better to do endurance exercise or is it better to do resistance exercise? And it all depends upon what your preference happens to be. We get good compensation, we get good adaptations from doing both resistance exercise as well as doing endurance exercise. But what I need to be able to do is I need to be able to do these exercises for prolonged periods of time. I need to be able to do the exercise not just one, two, three times, but be willing to do these exercises for one month, two months, three months in a periodized fashion, in a fashion where I am constantly adapting the way in which I'm exercising based off of the goal that I've set for that time period. And so if my long-term goal happens to be improved blood pressures and improved cardiovascular functions, I'm not going to want to do an exercise type that I don't select to want to do, where I'm going to be forced to have to do it. And so if I'm someone that likes to lift weights, lifting weights is a effective mean 
to cause changes within my cardiorespiratory pathways, within my cardiovascular system specifically, that leads to reduced blood pressures and improved overall heart functions. If I'm someone that hates lifting weights and would prefer to do endurance things, walking, jogging, stuff like that, doing the aerobic classes, I'm going to get compensations that way that will allow me to have improved cardiovascular functions and cardiorespiratory fitness. However, if we look at the, the evidence that's out there, I'm going to see greater changes in my stress hormones and greater changes in my anabolic regulations. Coming from the resistance side than from the endurance side. I'm going to see faster improvements in terms of fitness, particularly aerobic fitness, on the endurance side than on the resistance side. But I will still see aerobic fitness improvements on the resistance side. Which means that if I really want to get the best of both worlds, I'm going to want to do some sort of combination between endurance and resistance exercise. And this is where the idea of doing like circuit training comes into play, where I'm able to do resistance exercise and endurance exercise in a combination with each other. And from doing that, I'm able to get kind of like the best of both worlds. And so when we start looking at our overall responses that we see in terms of changes to exercise as it relates to our cardiovascular functions, we have all of these factors coming into play. And one of the biggest factors that can come into play as it relates to my overall cardiorespiratory pathways and cardiorespiratory responses is how much stress, particularly oxygen stress or aerobic stress, am I placing on the body? And that stress that I, that I sense, that aerobic stress that I sense, is what's referred to as ischemic factors. So that is, little chemicals get released from cells that say, hey, I want to do aerobic metabolism. I want to do my metabolism with oxygen. But I'm being forced to do anaerobic metabolism. And what this does is this causes all of the changes that we see within the blood cells themselves that get compensated with increases in blood volume that causes the changes in how much volume is being moved within each uh, stroke of the heart, within each beat of the heart. Which leads to volume pressure changes within the blood vessels independent of any type of shifting or drifting that might take place. All because we want to make sure that the cells that want to do aerobic metabolism are able to do aerobic metabolism. And so when we start putting this all together, one of the things we have to remember is, is that the long-term effects that we're going to see are going to be changes in the anatomy of the heart and of the blood vessels to compensate for changes in volume of flows that take place. Changes in volume of flows that take place is going to change the pressures that we see. Where we want to have is, in the long term, a reduced resistance to flow, a reduction in blood pressures that come about through improved compliance of the arteries, 
that allow for greater stroke volumes to take place within each heartbeat, which allows for more blood to be moved with each heartbeat, which leads to a more efficient heart, which is the kind of long-term goal of anybody that's trying to do anything for blood pressures. And the responses that we see occur regardless of what type of physical activity that we're doing. Where the more efficient the heart we get, the greater the efficiency of blood movement. The greater efficiencies of blood movement, the more normalized our blood pressures happen to be. And so we can do this by following the, the guidelines of exercising at heart rates between 70 and 85% of our maximal heart rate. And if you don't do stress tests, one of the easy uh, heart rate estimates you can do is simply the 220-220 minus your age in years. And then you simply just figure out what is 70% of that and what is 85% of that. And what you want to do is you want to exercise with your heart staying within those, those ranges for prolonged periods of time. But that's not the only way of doing it. There are multiple bits of evidence out there that show that doing things like interval training, if I'm someone that likes to do endurance-style stuff, is as effective as doing the long duration, 70 to 85%. So when I'm doing endurance exercise, I can do it interval style where I'm going to do really, really high levels, almost kind of like sprints, followed by walking or followed by a rest period, followed by sprints, followed by rest periods, where if we look at some of the, the researches out there, that style of exercise, I can get an equivalent cardiometabolic response cardiovascular plus aerobic metabolic response in between 5 and 12 minutes relative to the 30 to 40 minutes that I would have to do in that 70 to 85% range of my heart rate. I could get the same or equivalent changes, cardiometabolic, cardiovascular plus aerobic metabolism, by doing resistance training if I want to do resistance training, weightlifting, versus doing the endurance stuff, doing the quote-unquote cardio stuff, in which I want to work on improved endurance within the muscles by using set rep ranges of two to three sets, 15 to 20 repetitions, at 50 to 70% of my maximal effort my one rep max. And once again, if I don't do the testing, if I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be doing for a, for a one rep max, that 15 to 20 repetition range, the resistance load, it should be where the, the last rep of the set is doable. But I can maybe only do one or two more repetitions in correct form. That's the whole, whole point here is correct form when I'm doing the, the resistance exercise. The other thing I have to remember is when I'm doing those, those resistance exercises, 
is that I have to keep an, an exercising breathing pattern. And the exercise breathing pattern is going to minimize the risk of me doing Valsalva and having that syncope, that fainting episode that people are worried about as relates to the cardiorespiratory functions. We've put out previous talks about the relationship between changes in body composition and exercise, as well as patterning and periodization of exercise, and I highly recommend getting those. They're both on the YouTube as well as on the podcasts. You can also find them in written form on Substack. Each one is slightly different in terms of what's being presented and how it's being presented, so that you're not getting just a reiteration of the same thing on each of the platforms. Once again, thanks for joining in and listening to the discussion here on the use of exercise for cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular health and how we can use exercise to help improve blood pressures and heart functions. If you're enjoying what we're putting out there, please make sure that you are subscribed. Give us that five-star review. Click that uh, like button. Please make sure you're following us on all of the various platforms that we that we're putting stuff out on the podcast, on YouTube, in written form on Substack, as well as our quick little takes on threads and on Instagram. For those of you who are trying to plan out your health and fitness resolutions, we will be uh, doing a uh, chat forum on the Substack thread in January to help with planning out how to make resolutions and make goals and how to establish a, a pattern that will allow me to have a resolution that lasts past February. <laughs>